You know, there's a big difference between knowing that you need help and acknowledging that you need help. Those of us who are men sometimes experience this, I think, when we travel. Maybe not so much nowadays, uh, as we might have 10, 20, 30 years ago, Bob, but, you know, we got a GPS nowadays, so we got that. Now, if y'all listened to the lesson last week, you can listen to how GPS is not always right, uh, and I experienced that in my life where I had to repent and turn away from what, where we were going because we were going the wrong way. Um, but, you know, men have this, generally speaking, this idea that they don't like to ask for directions. Now, again, some of us may not be as hard-nosed as others, hard-headed to stop and ask for directions. But typically speaking, when a man gets in a car, we don't want to admit that we don't know where we're going. Or ultimately, we don't know where we're at. So we commonly won't stop and ask for directions. A lot of times, we know we need help, but for us to speak up and actually admit it is another whole game altogether, isn't it? You know, our lesson series so far has explored some of the required steps in order for us to accept God's free gift of salvation. God promised He's going to give us this gift, this wonderful gift of salvation, of, of eternal life, even before the dawn of creation. We see in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, God's plan was in effect because He knew what would happen. In His infinite wisdom and His knowledge, He knew exactly that man was going to mess up. He knew that that was a very real possibility. In fact, that not just a real possibility, but a reality that would occur. And so God had this plan to provide salvation for us even before creation occurred. These steps that, that God has laid out for us and that we have been discussing and talking about in, in the course of this series so far are required conditions that must occur before we can enjoy the joys of salvation and the blessed assurance of eternal life with God. Remember, even Jesus spoke about the need to obey God's will in order to accept His gift, His free gift of salvation. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's no doubt salvation is a free gift. And we've talked about that. It's a free gift of God by His grace. It is something we cannot earn. It is something that we cannot pay for. Uh, and in fact, we are indebted to God for this free gift because we could never, ever hope to repay it. We can't earn it by any of our actions. And the reality of God's required conditions, though, in order to accept this gift is unmistakable, though, when you, when you examine and you read what He has laid out for us in His will. And how do we know His will? His will is found within the, the pages of His book, His Word, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Word became flesh, right? God's Word came to us so that we would know what we would need to do, what His will was. God's Word became flesh in John chapter 1, verse 14, dwelt among man to give us that example, give us the teachings, and ultimately give us that sacrifice to lay in store and to lay the foundation for this gift of salvation. The reality of God's required conditions is unmistakable. And so when all of these required conditions are put together, you can clearly see what God's will is and what we need to do. If you think about it, in our study so far, what we have seen and what we have done is first, we've already spoken about the need to hear the Word of God. And so in my mind, I like to think of God's salvation as like a puzzle. 
I like puzzles. I like to figure out how things kind of go together. That's just kind of my mentality. And so when you think about putting all of these different steps, these different requirements that God has for us together, it's like putting together and piecing together a puzzle. Because if you look throughout the pages of his scripture, there's not going to be a step-by-step instruction manual necessarily for saying step one is this, step two is this, step three is this, step four is this, step five, congratulations, you've completed salvation. You don't see that in God's scripture. I wish you did because a lot of times it would be a lot easier probably to get get across to some uh, with regard to what God wants us to do to accomplish and do his will. And again, we're doing these things not to earn salvation, but we're doing these things because we are obedient to God with regard to what instructions he has given to us that we must follow in order to step forward and grab a hold of that salvation. We talked about hearing the word of God and the fact that Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and how important it is for us to understand how hearing impacts our lives. We've got to start somewhere and the somewhere we begin at is hearing what God has to say about things. If you don't know what God has to say about it, how can you ever seek His will. How can you ever do His will in order to become saved? You won't. Without hearing, we will never have the right knowledge to believe in God or to ever heed His message. Believing is absolutely essential since without belief, we cannot even begin to have an active and living faith that would bring us to desire to follow God's commands. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. How do we know who God is? How do we understand that God is? It's from his word, hearing the word of God. We understand those things. And after hearing the word of God, it brings out belief. It it creates a faith, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago. And the fact that that we hear those words, we believe those words, and because of that belief, our faith begins. We begin walking by faith and not by sight, as the Hebrew writer also speaks about. We must believe in God. We must believe that He loves us enough to send Jesus to die for us. We have to uh, believe in God enough to know that He sent Jesus to be raised up to give us that wonderful hope that we have because of His resurrection. We must believe that He has provided salvation to us through Jesus' sacrifice and that we are able to enjoy that very salvation as we do God's will through our obedience. We have faith. And we know that if we seek after God, we will be rewarded. We talked about last week how repentance then is also a factor. And the scriptures talk about the fact that unless you repent, Luke 13, 3 and verse 5, unless you repent, you will perish. And that's not just talking about a fleshly perishing. That's talking about an eternal perishing. The fact that our spiritual life will perish. We will deal with eternal damnation instead of eternal salvation in life unless we repent. On the day of Pentecost there, when the the people yelled out to Peter and the other brethren, what shall we do to be saved? The response was, repent, repent, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Repentance is required because God's will says so. And repentance is the idea of turning away from those things that we talked about last week. You're turning away from your old life. It becomes a change of mind, creating a change in actions in your life. Uh, Your life begins to emulate those things which you read about in God's Word. You're walking toward God instead of away from God in your sin. And so repentance is necessary. And we come to tonight here 
with regard to our step of salvation, as we call it, the idea of confession. And how important confession is in our lives. I'll go ahead and throw the other ones up there uh, just to have the puzzle completed. We're going to discuss baptism next week. And then the sixth week, the last lesson that we're going to have of this series is going to be talking about staying and remaining faithful. It's not just ending. By the way, you can't just say, well, I'm baptized, so I'm good. And so we're going to talk about these last two things that are absolutely essential for our salvation. So that when we face God there on that day of judgment, that we know we are assured of our salvation with Him. So tonight we're going to be dealing with confession. And confession, of course, is something that I think could, could somewhat be intermixed into some of these. Now, typically speaking, I think our tradition a lot of times is that we'll, we will stand up before someone becomes uh, is baptized and we take their confession of faith, right? I mean, that's traditionally what we have done. And, and there's a good example of that when you look in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were there and they stopped by the side of the road, the Ethiopian eunuch saw water and he said, what doth hinder me to be baptized? That's the question he asked Philip. And Philip said, hey, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you can be baptized. And they both then went and down into the water he was baptized, the Ethiopian eunuch, and then they went on their way. So the idea there is, is that there is a point when we give a verbal confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we make that wonderful, beloved, faithful confession because our minds have changed. And because our minds have changed, our actions have changed. And because our actions have changed, that we therefore want to be part of who Jesus is, and that confession comes very naturally at that point in time. Now, it's very possible that during the course of your believing that you could somehow confess that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe. I think it's very possible because that's part of believing. That's part of faith. But the problem is, is that if you're going to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, you better be ready to live that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So that's why whenever we think about the steps of salvation, it very logically seems that we're going to put it after repentance because after repentance is like we talked about last week, you're no longer walking away from Jesus. You're no longer walking away from God. You're walking toward Him because you know who Jesus is. And it's very natural at that point in time for you to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to this earth he died for me and my sins. And you make what we call, or what Paul told Timothy was that good confession of faith. Once you make a confession, I think it's very interesting to think of the impact that you would have or it should have on your life. And I want to talk about that in just a moment. Think with me real quickly, though, the importance, the necessity that that confession is with regard to the scheme of redemption and this plan of salvation that God has laid out for us in His will, in His Word, for us to be able to know what it is to be saved uh, and the fact that a confession is required. Look with me, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. There Paul tells the Romans that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Matthew 10, verse 32, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him 
before my Father who is in heaven. If you were to start laying out, and I encourage you to do this. I'm not sure we're going to have time to do this in this lesson series. But go through your New Testaments and start writing down every verse. And it's a lot easier today. you got those Bible programs, right? Do a little search real quick. Salvation or saved. Uh, search for those and find out and just start making a list of all the verses that talk about what is needed and required for salvation. I'm trying to include them as we go through this study now. I'm, I'm doing my best. But when you go through, you cannot help but see Romans chapter 10 verse 9 literally says that if you believe and if you confess, you will be saved. You cannot leave confession out of this. Confession is a very real part of becoming a child of God. Confession is a very real part of you reaching out and realizing in your life that I need this gift of salvation that God has provided to me free of charge, but I've got to confess and make sure that my mind and my body, my actions in life, properly reflect the truth that I believed and that caused me to repent and that now ultimately is going to cause me to confess who I am pledging my allegiance to. Because that's in fact what confession does before you become a Christian. Now again, confession after you're a Christian, there's another discussion and hopefully we'll be able to get into that in our sixth lesson talking about living the faithful Christian life. Now obviously if we get caught in sin after we've reached and grabbed a hold of that, that gift of salvation, that's another situation altogether because we've already approached and we've already grabbed a hold of that gift. All right, so there's a chance, obviously, that if we don't get that sin out of our lives, that that gift may be pulled away from us by God. But before we become a Christian, before we grab a hold of that gift of salvation that God offers to us freely, we've got to understand that part of it is confessing our sins that we have that separate us from God and confess the fact that Jesus is, in fact, our Savior that we are going to acknowledge from here on out in our life. The word confession is an interesting word. And again, I, I, I get into a little bit of word study. I don't have a lot of time to get in a lot of a word study in this uh, short time period as we deal with each one each week. But uh, the, the Greek word is homologeo, uh, which uh, deals with, uh, and if you look in the New Testament, that's primarily the root word used every time if you were to see the word confess or confession. There's going to be a slight derivation there depending on what, tense it's in or what the direct action y'all understand that probably but the, the root word is this word here and it means if you looked at some of the greek lexicons and and things some of the, the, the ways they describe it is to assent acknowledge or profess obviously you can't you know use the word confess because that's what they translate it as but they also have that as a definition by the way of this greek word is is a make a confession and this Greek word really challenges us because it is a word that, that causes us to really think about the, the intent and the purpose of this word, though. And, and if you confess, it's more than just saying something out loud. It's meaning what you say. And you all have kids that say something and you know they really don't mean it. You ever had that happen? I have. I have all the time. And as they get older, it seems like it's it worse. But... When you, you look at them and you hear the words coming out of their mouth, but you see their body language and it says two completely entirely different things. And you know what they're saying doesn't mean a hill of beans to them. We've seen that, right? Whether it's our children or whether it's friends, whoever it may be, maybe politicians. <laughs> I don't want to step on that, that 
a grenade necessarily tonight. But, you know, you think about when you look on TV and you see some politician up there making some promise to you. Do you really believe them? Sometimes you might believe them. Sometimes you're like, ah, that dude, he's just saying that. He doesn't mean what he's saying. When we confess the fact that, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we can, when we confess the fact that we have sins in our lives, we've got to mean it. Because this word means that we are assenting, that we are acknowledging, that we are professing this very fact in our life. And professing and acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God and the fact that, that we have sins in our lives is a very important point. Look at the Scriptures with me real quickly. Uh, we can look at the Old Testament. I don't have time to really dig too much into that, but it's not a foreign concept to think about confessions. Write down, if you want to, the, the verse Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and you can get into that with regard to some of the, the, the law that was given by God through Moses. And during this time frame, he, he pretty much says down there so that if, if one of these, one of these or, or um, the Israelites, when he becomes guilty in one of these, he shall confess that in which he has sinned, and he shall bring his guilt offering to the Lord, verse 6, for which sin he has committed... So the priest shall make atonement for him on behalf of his sin. Verse 7, if he can't afford a lamb, he shall bring the, the Lord his guilt offering for that in which he has sinned, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In the Old Testament, it required the people to confess first and sacrifice next. The people of Israel understood what confession meant. Confession literally meant an acknowledgement of who God was and to know what He expects you to do in your life because He expected you to follow that up with something. And in this case, Leviticus chapter uh, 7 talks about the fact that, uh, Leviticus chapter 5 talks about the fact that He doesn't require just confession. He requires a sacrifice, a sin offering for those sins which we had committed. The Old Testament is really kind of replete with regard to multiple other examples of this where you see the people having to acknowledge their sin and actually confess in order to, to, for God to look over that sin and not to destroy the whole nation because of it. He required them to confess their sins aloud to Him. That's how important confession is when you acknowledge that thing which is important in your life. In this case, sin is so important that it will cause someone to die. You must acknowledge it and move past it. That's how important confession of sin is. In the Bible, there's several scriptures you see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, the fact there that when John the Baptist was preaching and teaching and he was, he was baptizing in the Jordan River, it says there that they, he was baptizing them in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So the, the, the men and women came forward to John the Baptist, heard his teaching, and they re realized as he's preaching to them repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Mark chapter 1, verse 5, it says they were going all, all the Judea was going out and all the people of Jerusalem, they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. His preaching brought about a change in their mind and their actions to the point where they realized they had to confess their sins so they could avoid damnation. And that's what they did. I see another good example in Luke chapter 12, verse 8. The, the importance or the seriousness of confession at the time of Jesus. And in fact, in, in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 8 there, we were talking about that. Uh, it says, that Everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. 
How important is it for us to confess who Jesus is to those around us? It's important enough here for Jesus to say that if you confess him before men, he's going to confess you before the angels. And it's not necessarily going to be confessing us in the same respect, right? We're not his savior. I'm not doing anything for Jesus necessarily. But the confession here is, again, it is an acknowledgement. Again, put that word in there. God is going to acknowledge us before the angels. Why? Because we acknowledge him before the people. That's how important confession is in our lives as Christians. Now, when we're not even a Christian, it's important for us to take that first step to have that acknowledgement take over our lives so that we understand and everyone around us understands who it is that we pledge loyalty to. It's much like when you're going to be going into the armed forces that you're going to go in and you're going to swear an allegiance not just to the, to the United States, but also to your superior officers, to the country. You're going to pledge everything you can by oath to uphold those things. You are pledging your loyalty to your country. Well, as a Christian, before we grab a hold of that gift of salvation of God, what God says to us is that He requires us to make sure that we have that good confession in place. Because He wants everybody to know whose side we're on. Because quite literally, once we've heard the Word, we believe the Word, once we've repented from our old lives and we turn toward God and we want to say, hey, we want to fight with you, we should have made our decision and choice then, shouldn't we? That's what He asks us to do. That once we realize that He was the Son of God, that He came and died for us on that cross of Calvary so that we would have to experience eternal damnation. That once we decide and believe those things, we grab a hold of it with everything we got, we acknowledge who He is, and we decide we're going to fight with Him. That's God's plan of salvation. God wants us on His team, but in order for us to be on His team, it requires us to confess, or if you want to use a different word, to acknowledge who God is, and what He does for us. I want you to think about a couple of things that confession does in our lives as we got a little time remaining here. Go through a couple of points here that I've kind of come up with that I've thought about, and this one just reiterates what we've already talked about so far. First of all, confession in our life. When we confess our wrongs, when we confess that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we acknowledge a couple of things. Number one, we acknowledge God's authority in our life, and in the world around us. Number two, when we confess both our wrongs and our our belief in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that our actions has defied that authority of God. We acknowledge it. We take total responsibility for it. We we understand that we have done something God did not want us to do. And third, finally, we, we know when we acknowledge God, When we confess, we acknowledge that we know we should do and act differently because we understand we've done things wrong. And by confession, we are then acknowledging God's authority in our lives and acknowledging the fact that we should act differently because we know our God expects something different. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to become one of God's chosen family members, so to speak, You choose sides and you acknowledge His authority in your life. Now, this is a very difficult detail for some of us, I think. And and obviously, when we first become a Christian, we may acknowledge it there. Then we might start fighting with it as as we kind of grow in the faith, possibly, because we kind of push back on God's authority. But in order for us to choose sides, 
We've got to acknowledge that God is the one with authority, not us. It is not what we want, what we think, what we like. It is what God wants. It's what God has prescribed. It's what God has said in our lives that matters. And when we confess that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we are confessing that God is the supreme being, that God is the ruler of this world, that God is the creator of all mankind, that God is the one who has the authority to tell me what I should do. So when I confess that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm acknowledging those things. You know, God's authority, there's a reason why the Pharisees could not confess that Jesus was the Christ. In John chapter 9, verse 22, and over in John chapter 12, verse 42, there's a couple of passages there if you want to look at them, where it's talking about the, the, the culture and climate of Jesus' day there. And it talks about how people were confessing and people were coming to Christ. But it says there in chapter 9, verse 22 of John, the fact that there are some that would not come. There are some that chose to refuse to confess who Jesus was because, in fact, they wanted to make sure that they held the same positions that they had in their lives and not those positions which God prescribed for them. So if you look at John chapter 9 and verse 22, you're going to see there this. It says, his parents said this, and if you go back up here, you're going to see the Jews, I'm sorry, verse 18, did not believe with regard to um, the man who was formerly blind. It's talking about this passage. And so his parents answered and said, verse 20, we know this is our son, and he was born blind, but now he sees. We do not know how, who, we, we do not know or who opened his eyes. We do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. So verse 22 says why they said this. And it shows the culture and the climate of the time, right? It shows you why his parents were so emphatic. They did not want to say Jesus was the one who did it because it would ultimately imply something. And so verse 22, it says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Chapter 12, verse 42. Chapter 12, verse 42, real quick. I like these. I want to, want to read these real quick. Now, this is quoting Isaiah. But it is a reflection upon those things. After Jesus foretold of his death there in the earlier verses of chapter 12, Jesus spoke, he went and hit him, went away and hid himself from them, verse 36. And uh, he had all these signs and wonders. And he said it was a fulfilled Isaiah. And he says, verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. Jesus had been doing all these signs and wonders, these miracles among them. It's really hard to deny who Jesus is when you see him raising the dead or healing the blind or making the lame walk again, right? It's, it's kind of hard to deny the fact that this guy, something's about him different. But So you had a lot of rulers, said verse 42, believing in him. But it says, because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Let that seek in just a minute. Do we... Are we willing to confess who Jesus Christ is in our lives? Because the reality is when we confess who Jesus Christ is in our lives, we acknowledge the fact of who He is and what He is. And just like these people here say here, they refuse to confess Him. Why? Because they love the approval of men more than the approval of God. 
when we confess who Jesus is in our lives, it acknowledges God's authority, but it most importantly acknowledges who Jesus is and what he should be in our lives. Defiance and change has always been an issue with regard to acknowledgement of who God is and what Jesus is for us. You see it in multiple examples in the Old Testament dealing with the defiance of Israel not wanting to confess and to kind of turn away from those things which they did that was wrong. Uh, Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 through 7, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess his sins which he has committed. He shall make restitution in full for his wrong and add to it one-fifth of it and give it to him who he has wronged. When we confess... Are we ready and willing and able to take that step that God wants us to take, to turn our back on the world and to fully commit to who he is? Because that's what acknowledging Jesus is. God demands in his will that if we want to be his child, if we want to have this gift of salvation that he has offered to us, we must confess because it acknowledges who he is and what he's done for us. Secondly, real quick, confession shows true commitment. I love the, uh, I was thinking what picture to put on this. I thought skydiver or a bungee jumper would work. So I found this bungee jumper here. It takes true commitment to do bungee jumping. I don't think I could do this. In fact, this picture is a really long picture. It shows just a little cavernous down below that he's jumping into with his bungee cord on. It takes true commitment to jump off that platform, doesn't it? It really does. That's, that is true commitment. But you see, when we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, when, when God expects us to do that, as we think about this gift of salvation, as we reach out to it, and as we finally take that, that last, almost final step to Him saying, I am with you, God. I am for you. I, I want to grab a hold of this salvation that you've given to me through your Son, Jesus. And so I confess to you that I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I want that gift. That takes true commitment. It really does. There's, there's parables talking about counting the cost, if you think about that in the, in the New Testament. Jesus you know, told multiple parables, and, and one of the parables was talking about, you know, if you're going to go build a tower, if you're going to go build this building, you're going to count the cost of it so that you don't start building it and then you don't get to finish it. And the point that Jesus is trying to make to them is that when you make an important choice in your life, it's got to take a thought process because you've got to understand it is commitment to follow through for these things. Whenever I confess that Jesus is the Son of God, I should be ready to commit myself to Him and to those things which He wants me to do in my life. And that's what confession does to me. It literally stakes. I I throw my stake in the ground, my flag, so to speak, on His ground and on His side of that, that fight and that battle. And I'm committing myself to Him to make sure that I am following those things which He wants me to do. Uh, scripture that I put up there on the screen has to do with um, Paul and what he said to Timothy. And in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, uh, Paul is reaching out and talking to Timothy as he's trying to challenge him. In fact, this is, I think, one of the, the scriptures that was read as we were thinking about this on Sunday morning uh, with Jeremy's uh, wonderful lesson as we talk about fighting the good fight. And so if you look in, in uh, uh, second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Confession becomes ingrained in our life. 
And in fact, I, I thought about going off on a tangent with regard to the idea that sometimes actions speak louder than words sometimes. We can get up here and say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but go out and think or, or, or act in a, soul, a way completely different, foreign to that concept. We can say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and go out and, and act a fool during the week. What does that confession really mean if that, that, that matters? Paul's telling Timothy here, you fight that good fight of faith. You, you, you take hold of the eternal life of what you were called and you made that good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's commitment. It is commitment for us. It's commitment personally and it should be commitment publicly, by the way. That's why I believe that public confession is very important because you are before many witnesses, as Timothy here, getting up and saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that's going to be holding you accountable as a group. That positive peer pressure can be pretty, pretty tough sometimes, can it? If you keep yourself surrounded by good people, it's hard not to try and be good. Sure, the Satan's going to pull at you. Sure, your own personal temptations are going to try and pull you down. I'm not going to say any of us are perfect. I speak from experience. I am so imperfect. But if I'm going to follow and surround myself with people who are positive, who are Christians, I think that's why the church is so important. If you surround yourself by those people, they're going to hold you accountable for that commission and, and that, that confession that you gave when you became a Christian. They're going to hold your feet to the fire, so to speak, because you need to be committed. Confession also shows finally three. Confession shows dependence. Why would you confess something unless you had a need for it? What, what does it matter that Jesus is the Son of God? Why does that matter to me? Why would I get up and say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God? And the real true answer is, is because we need Jesus in our life. Our confession shows dependence on something much greater and bigger than self. It truly reflects the, the Philippians chapter 2 mentality there of the idea of, of looking out for others above ourself because we are realizing that we are not as important as Jesus. We're, we take the back seat to those things. Romans chapter 10 verses 5 through 10 um, is a passage of scripture that kind of gets into this. And of course, the verse on the screen there is the verse that we talked with uh, at the beginning class with, with, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That, that verse there in verse nine. But let's listen real quickly. We got a couple minutes real quickly to verses five through 10. Look at the context of Romans chapter 10. Here, as you look at these verses, it says, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. When we realize who Jesus is, it should literally bring us to our knees. It should cause us to think and to pray and to hope and to strive and to think, okay, I've got to do whatever I need to do to have Jesus on my side in life. 
And if we have that mentality, if we think that truly way, this is the mindset we're going to have is the fact that our, our lives need Jesus. And that's where the confession comes into play. We confess with our mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with your heart, the person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Our confession shows us, shows everyone around us, that we need Jesus. We are dependent upon Him in all aspects of our lives. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Part of confession in our life, both the confession of having sin and the confession of the, our belief and our sincerely held faith that Jesus is the Son of God, bring into our mind that our transgressions are no more because we're on Jesus' side. That's how important confession is. Confession shows us that if we're taking these steps and following after God's plan of salvation, we know, we can know assuredly, we're headed in the right direction and our loyalty is with the one and only God. Next week, next week, we are going to be dealing with the, the, the topic of overwhelmed by His gift. Let's look at baptism and how we are overwhelmed by receiving this wonderful gift of salvation. Thank you for your kind attention tonight.